podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes of the Whistleblowers Daily Show, the new weekly version is here to take you through all the action from the weekend just gone. There was another week of absolutely nothing from Tottenham, a thriller at the city ground, an incredible late show at the Emirates, and of course, one of the most remarkable scorelines of the season so far, as Liverpool annihilated Man United 7, open brackets, S-E-V-E-N, close brackets, nil at Anfield. Joining me to go through all of this is Gareth Dobson, a voice all whistleblowers OGs will recognise, and sadly for him, a Spurs fan. Gareth, thanks for coming on the show after what must have been a pretty traumatic weekend for you. How are you feeling? Um, generally good. I'll be honest, it was, yeah, it's not been a good weekend if you support Spurs. I mean, many of them aren't, but yeah, you, you at least look for some Schadenfreude when your team loses. You're like, well, hopefully, you know, your, your bitter rivals will lose. And Chelsea managed to win their first game in 600 years. And Arsenal <laughs> went from being, you know, the, oh, they've bowled it. They've gone full Spursy to, oh, wow, Arsenal are going to win the league. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you're lucky that the result, uh, Anfield happened because it took every it took it took the attention away from every single world event, and yes. I think just placed it all on United's shoulders and on Liverpool's shoulders. And I think that was really good of them actually. And I think we should we've got to start there, haven't we? There's nowhere else we can possibly start other than Anfield. Yesterday, it finished seven nil to Liverpool. If you haven't read any papers or seen anything in the media, seven nil to Liverpool. Gareth, I assume you saw the game. Um, it was a strange one, wasn't it? Because that first half was actually pretty positive from United. And in that second half, you're a Spurs fan. You must have seen this before. Absolute total collapse. Like I don't think I've seen a, a team as high up the table perform like that before. Like I just don't think I've ever seen players not be asked. <laughs> they couldn't be asked. Gareth, talk me through it. I, I mean, like you said, the, the first half was, was pretty balanced. I, I think that even when... You know, Liverpool scored towards the end. My assumption was that Man United would, you know, come out, kick on, show why they're, you know, one of the the form teams since since the the World Cup break, and it just didn't happen. The only thing it reminded me of in terms of expectation versus quality of team was Brazil's capitulation to Germany in the World Cup. Um, yeah, good shout. In in that sense that you know the first couple went in, and you're like, okay, well they'll they'll pull it together then. The look in their eyes when, you know, three and four, and it's like they didn't know what to do. And, you know, it was almost like they were, their brains just melted. They malfunctioned and went, well, it's just, we can't stop this. This is inevitable. And I think even, I, I, I assume it was uh, uh, Gary Neville on comms was saying, this happens, this happens at Anfield. Teams come in, they hit a buzzsaw and they have, they just can't do anything about it. And I thought he called it perfectly. There was, you have those games where you realise after the third goal that there's going to be more. It was utterly yeah. inevitable at that point. But even, yeah, like I said, even you know, 1-0, 2-0, you're like, okay, this one goal for United and there's a game here. Liverpool are not robust. Liverpool can't see our games. And and maybe they, they realise that and somewhere between, you know, offend, uh, attack being the best form of defence, but also maybe this gleefulness of having such a, torrid kind of month for or a few weeks and and just feeling that yeah they, they yeah really for from, yeah. from the start of the year they've been pretty poor and you could see there was just a, a a sigh of relief when the sort of third or fourth goal went in that it felt like Liverpool I don't think they're back back yet but it certainly felt like they they were playing with a freedom we haven't seen for so long but it helps when you're playing essentially what was a team of under 10s who didn't know 
the basics of, of how to sit and see out 10 minutes. Just see out 10 minutes and it might stop the bleeding. And they couldn't do that. And every time Liverpool got the ball, you just thought, well, this is it. United are done. The the, the goal straight after half time, I just thought was sort of embarrassing. And it was two or three minutes after half time. And from then on, that, that was that was sort of it, really, wasn't it? I've been raving about United this season because I've been talking about how it shows that if you sign two or three leaders, you can really turn a team around. And, you know, Casemiro's in and, and Martinez is in. Certainly they're leaders, they're vocal, they they get things done. Varane has, has played well this season. He's certainly a leader as well. I think you could say in, in previous games, Fernandez has been a, a leader as well. And yet, yeah. yesterday, they all went to pieces. And I really didn't... I've never expected that from those sorts of players. To see them all do it on the same time, on the same day, was just... was very, very odd. Um, let's listen to Sam Pilger. He's a United fan and a football writer. Here's Sam Pilger on what he made of yesterday's game. Today was a day that was both surprising and not surprising. Not surprising that United always had a defeat in them. They've been playing midweek and weekend for so long, uh, eking out results as we've seen against West Ham when they scored three goals in the last 15 minutes. And everything has gone their way. So many victories, so many late wins, a trophy, a, a, a win over Barcelona. So a defeat wasn't a surprise for an exhausted players who, who, who you can't just keep winning. That doesn't happen. But what the surprise was, was it was so emphatic and 7-0 and that a team that had shown such character crumbled horribly in the second half and conceded 45, uh, <laughs> felt like 45 goals, <laughs> conceded uh, seven goals in the space of 45 um, minutes for United. It, it, that was the shock. That was the shock. A defeat wasn't a 2-0, a 3-1, wasn't a huge surprise, but to lose in that manner uh, will have shocked Ten Hag, I'm sure. But United was similarly embarrassed by City 6-3 um, in, uh, in October and came back to beat them in the return leg. Ten Hag has already shown he has the ability to bounce back from terrible defeats. He's still in the early months of what has so far been a successful, hugely successful rebuild. Um, he's the only manager English managers so far to win a major trophy. United beat Barcelona. They've also this season beaten every single team of consequence they've played. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, Barcelona, Newcastle in a cup final. So there's a huge amount for United fans who will be hurting horribly tonight to uh, to, to, to cling on to. But... Um, there's also, you know, there all the cliches are trotted out. It's it's important how they bounce back. It's Real Betis on Thursday in the Europa League, and then Southampton at Old Trafford in the in the Premier League. Um, it is important how United bounce back, um, and the hope is that United finish this season with at least one trophy, uh, a place in the top four, and and huge amount of optimism because of all the the glorious and wonderful things that were being said about them before this game. Maybe have been dented a bit, but remain largely uh, true. But uh, a sobering, unpleasant <laughs> day for United. That was Sam Pilger, a football writer and Man United fan. Uh, he's right to, to try and maintain some perspective, though, isn't he, Gareth? Yes, a horrendous, horrendous result and performance. But it's a pretty good season, really, so far. And they can still have a fantastic outcome to the season, can't they? 
Oh, absolutely. I, it's, and I think it's the only way you you can deal with it. it. It would be, you know, a travesty if this defined their season. I mean, their season should be defined by looking back at, you know, Ten Hag's game. Was it the second or third game against Brentford, when, you know, every, the knives are out and it's like, you know, they they they've picked this Harold Mander again. He's got the wrong players. He can't do anything with this. And you know, one or two acquisitions. I think Casemiro's maybe on the bench that day had just come in. And they have progressed so far. Um, but yeah, if you, you could turn around and say, like, you know, like you said, this was coming, it's they have probably overperformed in terms of yeah. the expectations and 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 the team they looked like in, in August. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we're in danger, though, here of just talking about how poor United were. Let's talk about how good Liverpool were because. I know Gary Neville on comms and certainly after the game talking to Graeme Souness, which, by the way, was just a boring schoolboy farce, I thought. And there's been a lot of celebration about how great it was. Oh, Souness, oh, Neville. Look, I thought it was just a bit embarrassing, to be honest. But Neville's wrong. Liverpool did play very well. Maybe not as well as they have done in the last two or three years. But they played very well yesterday. And I think it's the first time we've seen that front three look like it could maybe fill those shoes of... Uh, Mane, Firmino and, and Salah. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably, you know, in a couple of weeks when, you know, the, the score lines in the uh, the middle distance a little bit, that should be the most exciting thing, the, the potential that, you know, Klopp and, and his team have potentially found, you know, the replacements. I, I think it, I was going to say, I think Mane's loss has been under undervalued this season but I think it's now been said so many times he's probably been fairly valued but yep. he, he was such a huge loss and you know bringing in a slew of players you know let's not forget they've got other players other attackers coming back from from injury they they should be well equipped up front it probably doesn't change the fact that their midfield needs not so much an overhaul it's just a complete fresh set of players but um yeah. but that wasn't you, that didn't seem like a problem yesterday did it no, it didn't. And I, again, maybe that's quite surprising given that that's where Manchester are probably the most improved this season. That's the area of the field where you know they've really turned things around. But I think if with those in place, and they're they're all very young players. I mean, obviously apart from uh, Salah, but um, I think Liverpool fans will be incredibly pleased that he's gone from five six weeks ago being like maybe this was a contract too far to oh you know what he's still one of the best players in the world. Absolutely, um, yeah. I think also, in terms of that centre midfield, you know, if Liverpool get top four, which uh, we'll get onto Spurs after the break, but if Liverpool get that top four position, that's that's good for their finances. That means they probably can stretch to a big marquee centre midfielder. And, you know, a lot of the chat is about Jude Bellingham. Now, I think Bellingham is, is a player of such quality that whatever team he goes to has a shot of winning the league. Yep. And whether um, that's Liverpool, um, whether it's Man City, whatever, I feel like he could transform that Liverpool midfield almost on his own. Yeah, there, there, there's certain upgrades you can make to a team that, you know, are far beyond the average transfer. I mean, Casemiro, again, is the one where he's been worth, you know, more than one player, if you will. Look at when um, Liverpool, uh, sorry, Chelsea went and brought uh, N'Golo Kante. The the, the change in, in their midfield when they brought him in. Some players just have you know, that sort of almost alchemic effect where it just, you know, the whole team is is immediately transformed or improved Absolutely, as a result. Yeah. And Liverpool have had a few of those over the last few years. I mean, Van Dijk was that sort of player. 
Um, I don't want Bellingham to go to Liverpool. And it's not because I don't like Liverpool. It's it's purely because I love the fact we've got a player who stars for England and they, we don't have this tribal nonsense around him because he plays for Liverpool, he plays for Man United. We can all, as England fans, just enjoy him. And I like that. I want him to go to Real Madrid so we can collectively hate him a little bit rather than just have half the country hate him a lot. Well, it's, it's exactly like, you know, back in 2002 when this mystical godlike England midfielder called Owen Hargreaves turned up and he was going to change everything. And, you yeah. know, what you didn't know was was the thing that m- most excited you. Apparently he can play midfield and right wing and left yeah. wing. And he's he got a weird accent. This is perfect. He's Canadian. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Drew yeah. Bellingham, the next Owen Hargreaves. You've heard it here first. Well, I'll get that on the uh, get that on the blurb. Right, we'll take a short break. After which, we'll talk about Spurs. We'll talk about um, Arsenal, sadly. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. I'm here with Gareth Dobson. Uh, Gareth, you're a Spurs fan. Let's talk about it. It's been pretty weak for... Well, I mean, you fill that blank. How long has it been weak for? But certainly the last couple of weeks, there's a little uptick in improvements, and now it seems to have fallen off again. Yeah, it's been weak every other game week since um, September. This this is the big problem, is that every time there's a good result, there's a... Well, you might have said baffling result, but now they're almost expected. I don't think that anyone looks at Spurs's you know week to week fixtures going, well, that's nailed on. That's nailed they're, on. They're the most they're um, the most consistent team in the league. Absolutely, you know, it's because you know what's going to happen. It's, it's exactly, it's, it's amazing. Um, and yeah, you know, I I was a little surprised that you know Spurs went and beat Chelsea and West Ham, um, you know, in consecutive league games. It, it's not the sort of thing that that tends to happen and. They have an amazing ability to raise expectations at the exact point where, you know, it's going to depress you the most when they inevitably fall off. Um, and Charles, you know, I was I was talking to someone about this on the um, on on Saturday. They'll probably go and beat AC Milan and and progress to the uh, to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and suddenly be like, oh yeah, Spurs are pushing on. Can they? Maybe they'll get something. And then what they'll do is they'll draw the least. Uh, fancy team of those remaining uh, seven plus them, and then they'll lose it. Yeah, it also seems to be that they they grind Harry Kane into the ground uh, in terms of his optimism for the future, and then just at the last moment, pull out a string of results and get him to sign a new contract. That could well happen again this time round. If I was a Spurs fan, Gareth, I've got lots of friends that support Spurs. They seem to be the most popular team of, of my friends for some reason. I think I attract that to sort of losers. And uh, the uh, 
The FA Cup game was one that would have absolutely infuriated me if I was a Spurs fan. And, and that's the game that all my friends would text me about. That was the one that seemed to really upset them the most. It seems like Spurs actively do not want to have a shot at winning trophies. And I think it's that sort of performance, that sort of result, that sort of mindset that bleeds into the Premier League as well. What were your thoughts on the FA Cup? Because we haven't done this show for a little while, so we can go back a little bit further. What are your thoughts on that, on that FA Cup run and the repercussions that that can have? Well, famously, Conte is, 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 is a manager who allegedly sees the league as the be-all and end-all. It's the true judge of a team's quality. You know, he's a, he, he prefers the marathon to the sprint. Um, and, you know, therefore, if he doesn't prioritise the Cups, that's it's not fine, it's his choice, but then you have to show your metal in the league. Um, I think what infuriates Spurs fans is that, you know, you're, you're one game away from, you know, an exciting, exciting, uh, you know, spot in the FA Cup. You look around the other teams, there's very few, you know, premium teams left. There's United and there's City. There's United and there's City. And, you know, you go, oh, well, hopefully they'll draw each other. And then you only have to beat one of these teams, both of whom you've beaten over the last few years at various points. And it's like, you know, Conte, you can be, Maybe he doesn't understand that, you know, for Spurs, any trophy, you know, you'd be hailed as a hero. You know, Spurs Spurs remember, you know, the managers who did nothing but win a, a Tin Pot trophy. Um, and it is infuriating. And I, I think the only, the only balm to that would have been if Spurs had turned up on Saturday, hammered Wolves and said, it's all about the league, you know. Obviously, we weren't happy about the 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 midweek, but you know we're going to go and finish fourth. We're going to push on, but there was no real sign of that. And uh, unfortunately, Spurs they're at this this real crossroads now, where Conte won't be there in August. I'm ninety nine percent sure of that. Well, I was going to ask then, you this: Would you not just get rid of him now? I don't. I, I feel. I just feel like I I before Christmas thought that he's not a long term manager. He never has been for anyone. He he's at clubs for two or three seasons at most. Spurs need more than two or three seasons and windows in order to get the players in that are good enough for Conte. Those two things aren't compatible. It's it's not going to mean winning the big things, the things that Conte prioritises in the next season or two. So I feel like we're just wasting time here. But that time probably has been wasted and it's probably gone. And I think if you look at Spurs' appointments, Mourinho and then, you know, skipping over some ill-fated uh, six-month dabbles you know it's it's Conte and it's because they realized the window was closing they're like we need to maximize this this aging squad where you know three or four of their best players are now 29 30 um and so the the big question for Daniel Lee is like okay do we bring in that manager and we say right next season you know 23 24 it's it's trophy or bust or do you just say look it's it's not going to happen. We've missed the window. We need, you know, my most hated word in football is the project. But, mm. you know, I'm sure he... Are you going to use it? Are you going to use that word? Well, you know, if Spurs are starting use a new it. project... Use it, um, lovely stuff. Then that time, you know, should have been two years ago. And yep. it's... I, I understand the temptation for Levy to look and say, look, you know, let's get someone who can do a quick fix. Maybe we can go one more year. But then what does that mean? You know, I, I know I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth because obviously if Spurs win the FA Cup, the League Cup, you'd be like, brilliant, good season. But ultimately, that would be the last trophy probably for Kane and Son and yeah, yeah, and a few others. So and Lloris, I mean Lloris probably probably won't be the first choice goalkeeper next season. We'll have to see. Um, give give me a really quick. Reached an end point. 
give me a, we could talk about this all day, but give me a quick uh, yes or no. Is Kane staying at Spurs after this summer? Yes. Okay, fine. Uh, and also, can we get a quick word about Wolves? Because actually, I've been quite impressed with them since Christmas. I think they've been really, really good. Look much more compact, much more solid. And they've got a cutting edge now. They're now five points clear of relegation on 27 points. I think they're going to finish very comfortably mid-table. I don't think they're anywhere near a relegation outfit. And they've actually, in Lopetegui, got a manager that I think Spurs would be casting envious glances at. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they, they, um, they've they shored things up. They they look so much more co- more coherent than they did previously and they have enough good players to you know to compete most in most matches i i think that they're probably not the most exciting team that that fresh on of excitement when they came up was it three four years ago and it was this portuguese revolution you know dissipated they've sold a lot of their good players players like adama Traoré haven't kicked on you know obviously until he scores the winner on saturday and um so you know they're building into something new and but I think they'll they'll have done more than enough. They've they've separated at just the right time. You you assume those, those sort of five or six teams beneath them. I would be surprised if any of them catch them. But yeah, it would have to be a pretty disastrous run of form for Wolves now to even be sucked in. Yeah, I I think I think they are going to be fine, and I think actually really really bodes well for next season. I think they'll they'll make a run for not not top four, top six, but certainly top ten next season. Very comfortable. Some of their players coming through. I, I love it. And strength and depth as well. I mean, they're bringing off Sarabia off the bench. This is even without, um, you know, Cunha, the new striker. He he wasn't playing, um, well, he wasn't starting at the weekend. This is, these are top quality internationals. You know, this is, it shows you how strong the league is as well, by the way. I mean, that bottom five teams even, really, really strong. I don't think we've seen uh, this sort of strength and depth of lower league teams for a long time, even if they're playing badly like Everton. You look around their squad and there's some wonderful players in there. Anyway, let's move on to the bit you've been looking forward to the most, Gareth. Um, Arsenal, I think if we've been doing this show every week of the season, I think we've probably been asking every single week, Arsenal aren't actually going to win it, are they? So I'll ask you that. I I suspect, I think that tipping point for me was a few weeks ago. I, I would say it's... I've gone from, you know, laugh saying it's theirs to lose, knowing that they'd lose it to I think that, you know, they're good enough and they've been they've been galvanized by, you know, various comebacks and good performances in, in the last month. And I suspect they're gonna comfortably see it home. It, I was, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day as I probably do more than I wish I did. Um if I were to characterize this team it does feel a bit more Leicester than, say, Man City in, in terms of. <laughs> I'm not convinced that this is such a little be... dig, isn't it? it what it, a little it, yeah, dig! Yeah, it's dreadful. Like, oh, yeah, you won it because you won the most games, Athletic. but I'm not sure you're really the best team. Um, <laughs> they, they'll win it and deservedly so, but I'm. I'd be really interested to fast forward three or four seasons and see, you know, what else they achieve. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a lot of these players will grow into it, but you know. I was talking to an Arsenal friend about, you know, which of these, which of these players have that, you know, link to the club who are going to stay forever. You know, will Odegaard say you, you, you've turned my career around, you've turned me from failed Wunderkind to, to this brilliant player, or will he now be like, you know what? I'll go back to Real Madrid, I try again. City or Bayern Munich or, or yeah. go back to Madrid and. Um, you but know. I don't know. Cause I, I look, I look at this Arsenal side, and and I know obviously any team that scores a ninety seventh minute winner having been 2-0 down, they're going to look like a, a squad of players that are together, celebrating together. But oh, yeah. actually, Arteta has has really made them into a real unit. They're, they're such a unified team. 
you, you feel like there's um you know a proper there's there's a group of friends there that are playing football together essentially that's what it feels like it might sound a bit wanky to say it but I honestly do believe he's he's cultivated something quite special there. Whether or not they win the league, I don't know. You, I I feel like you're saying yeah they're going to win it because that's easier psychologically for you to cope with than saying you know it might be tight. But they look really good. I don't know if they're going to win it. By the way, still I think they're a brilliant right. team and they've been unbelievable. But let me just run through what their fixtures are like in April. So April they got. So bear in mind the they've still got Europa League and stuff. Um, so it might not work out sequentially but April they've got Liverpool away West Ham away Southampton at home fine City away Chelsea at home and we're going to May Newcastle away Brighton and then Forest and Wolves to finish there are some very very difficult games in there I think there's like a 10 day period there where it sort of feels like it all rests on that having said that they've been they've been good in the games with teams around them so don't know Gareth I don't know. No, but I, I guess psychologically, it's probably really important to know that they can lose to City and that not define the title. Yeah, yeah, they still need to... City still need to uh, win every game. Arsenal still need to drop points elsewhere, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's that that sort of little comfort zone is, is must be really helpful. And I, I think they're going to win the league because, you know, they're playing as well as anyone. They're playing better than almost everyone. And... I think they've now proven that they have the, you know, the mental fortitude to do so. It is a combination of two things. It's holding your nerve and playing as well as you can for an extended period of time. And I, I think the other thing that I wasn't expecting or was doubting was the the quality of the squad and their ability to rotate. But they are bringing in players, and Arteta is changing up. He's, you know, he's rested in Katia, um, and there's been, you know, other changes he's made to cope with the the midweek fixtures, and and, and they're yeah. working out. And I think that. You know, players coming into a winning team and a system that works and everyone knows their roles is, is helpful, but that, that's credit to Arteta. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. The, the strangest thing is I remember doing this podcast and I guess it was September of last season, so a year and a half ago, and they had gone into the international break. They'd lost maybe three of the first four and I mm-hmm. was I was convinced, I was telling you that he's he's going. Like when we come back yeah, in yeah. two weeks, he's not going to be their manager. Um and I'm still, I'm still slightly surprised they didn't do it. Like, you know, credit to Arsenal's board for. Um, I think they'll sack him this week. I think he's gone. I suspect he's gone. I'm, I'm not. I think really you sure. can, you cannot tell me that a team should have to have to rely on 97 minutes to beat Bournemouth. Get it, Arteta no, out. Simple to, as that. To me, he's taken this team as far as he can. Yeah, and I think get someone in who can actually win games. Uh, we've talked about the team that you would classify as your biggest rivals. So it's only fair that we do the same for me as a Derby fan. Let's talk about Forrest. Now, I don't know if you saw the uh, Forrest-Everton game on Sunday, Gareth. Did you see any of it? Sadly, I missed it, but it looked like quite a fun romp. It's a brilliant romp. Yeah, romp is the right word. Uh, and it pains me to say it, but you know, Forrest of... Forrest signed 150,000 players in the summer and then another couple of million in the January transfer window. And yet somehow there's a, a team there. I don't know how I don't know how Steve Cooper's managed it. There's an actual team of players who understand their roles. It looks like they're not getting angry. Um, the ones that aren't playing don't seem to be getting angry that they're not getting enough game time. There seems to be I don't know how I don't know how he's done it, Gareth. I thought they signed too many players, they'd be going down, no problem, I can rest easy. But actually, they look really good, and, and Everton definitely are a better team under Dyche. 
and looked like they should have won that game quite comfortably just from the first sort of hour of the game. But they've got some spirit for us. And, and in Brennan Johnson, they've got a really excellent attacking player who I don't think will be at the club for too much longer. Um, what have you seen of Forest this season, Gareth? And what do you rate their chances? Bearing in mind that they're actually in, in quite a nice position at the minute. Uh, they're clear of the relegation zone only by four points, uh, but they've got a game in hand over Everton who, who had taken up that place. So they they remind me a little bit of Crystal Palace um, okay. when they established themselves over the last five, six years. And that it's... The city ground is not a fun place to go and play. I don't think. I, you know, it's uh, definitely now. It's you know, it used to be one of those vast grounds where you held FA Cup semi-finals, but now I think it's seen as a bit of a bit of a hot box, and um, it's. I think that gives them an advantage. I, I think that you know, the manager does. He just has them well drilled. It's it's one of those sort of boring answers where you go, well, organized teams who have a bit of quality about them will will ultimately probably be better than. You know, teams with theoretically better players are a mess. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it devastates me to say this, but I think Forest are are pretty decent. They do have the occasional blip where they can see three or four, but it's uh, it's not as common as I'd like. No, so anyway, I mean, that's the all other, sorry. The oh, other thing I, I'd very quickly say is like some of those players signings have have better than I, I think you can see. You know, there are there are certain favourites already. Aurier's had a good year. I know mm-hmm. that he's. You know, a bit of a a bit of a madhouse. Uh, he's not always the most favourable character, but he's a very good attacking defender. Um, he's got a lot of bad. I think bringing Felipe in, and a lot of people doubted him because he is one of the slower centre backs they could have bought at the time. Where I think the shout was more mobility at the back, and you know, again, an, another very good player. I think you can show that the Premier League can shop at the top of other divisions. Absolutely. Um, I mean, look at Gibbs White was over 40 million quid for a team that's just come up. Absolutely. It's absurd. And, and you it know, looks quality. We, we talk about, uh, I think, you know, Sporting, uh, Sporting Lisbon, for example, you know, great team, best team in their league, good Champions League team. And, and they've been selling players to mid-tier Premier League teams yeah. and below. And that shows that, you know, even Nottingham Forest, quote-unquote, can go and bring in quality. And if you make the right decisions your your team can stay afloat the, the super league is already underway and it's the premier league and i don't think i have much pleasure saying that actually i think it sort of ruins european football anyway on that positive note uh, let's end there thank you gareth uh, for coming and doing this is it an inaugural show inaugural whistleblowers weekly show i guess it is it's the relaunch yeah the the, the yeah let's let's call it the inaugural uh, show of the rebirth yeah. oh well, thanks for doing it have you got anything to plug uh, go and see Gold Panda out on tour in the next few months. He's doing lots of shows, and um, there's a new soundtrack by Griff Reese for a movie called The Almond and the, and the Seahorse, which um, is worth picking up on beautiful vinyl. Lots of music. Great. All right. Nice one, Gareth. Uh, we'll be back in some shape or form next Monday with more Whistleblowers Weekly, I'm going to call it. Whistleblowers Weekly. That sounds nice. Nice. Sports Social Podcast Network.